0: Thank you, John. Good to be with you guys. I recognize some faces, but I'm thrilled to say there's many of you I don't recognize because I've been here a number of times, but the church is growing and changing in complexion, and that's a wonderful thing to see the kingdom advancing. We're here to celebrate with you. We just want to take a few moments as a couple, and and then I'm going to share in preaching as well. But uh, many of you were not here three-plus years ago, and you need to understand the story You know, in Scripture, a lot of times, particularly in the Old Testament, they retell the story of God's faithfulness and provision as He works through the people of Israel and through the church today, the same thing is happening. And if you weren't here three years ago, you have no idea what an amazing thing it is to stand here today because we were in a desperate, desperate place. There had been a series of months where we were having uh, some very intentional dialogue with the former much-loved pastor, Mark Habutzel, And Jason Reiswick was the chair at the time, and we were talking and working through as the church was declining and hitting some really hard places. And so out of that, the Hobbitzels determined to resign, that it would be best for them to move on and for the church to find new pastoral leadership. The Sunday after Mark left, I came and was hoping to be able to announce that we had new pastoral leadership for you. and it was uh, forgive my language, but it was the Sunday from hell uh, Cindy uh, Cynthia and I just talked about that before the service. The grief was palpable, uh, nothing was working right, and this pastoral leadership that we thought we had in place fell through, and so it was a dark, hard place, and I preached my guts out and still just we just all were just believing beyond what our eyes could see that God would move and would provide. Well, within a couple of weeks, uh, I met this wonderful couple over coffee that I'd never heard of before, uh, the Carols. And so we sat down in Wichita and had coffee. And then I started doing some background checking. And within a week, they were meeting with Brian Johnson, our church planning director. And really quickly, the trajectory and the conversation turned. And they were presented to you all, and you loved them, and they loved you, and God began to move in a new and powerful way. And so today, you are in the back end, really the completion of a three-year plan and agreement that was struck between the denomination and the local church to infuse some additional funds, but also to set some goals, to become self-sustaining, not only surviving but thriving. And you really are the poster kids of revitalization now, I have to tell you. This is an amazing story, and it's part of your story. It's just a slice of the story. You'll get to celebrate, I guess, 15 years of the story here in a few weeks. But it's dangerous to call out specific names, but I do want to just acknowledge some specific people through this amazing season. Cynthia and Mike Limpke, Jason and Shelly Reiswig, Jim and Carol McLaren, Evelyn and Mike Johnson, Tamara and Steve Johnson, Bryce and Allison Barkas, Brent Martin, Becky Branstetter, and Eric Hauk. These are all leaders that have stepped forward and really have led in, in an amazing way. And of course, we have to thank the Carols, Amber and John. They are a unique partnership. They have complimentary gifts, as you all know, and they are exactly what hope needed and they are exactly what God delivered. That's what God does. And so we want to thank the whole family, Aiden and Maya as well, because this has been a family affair um, and a great partnership. And most certainly, we want to thank all of you. Those of you that were here, those of you that have come since then, you have been amazing. You are being the church. I love your three B's, and, and you are being the church in really important ways. You never gave up on hope, and now you're giving hope to others. And that's what this is all about. So we want to praise Jesus most of all, but we do want to thank you because he's worked powerfully through you. So Patty is going to offer a prayer of celebration. Um, Have at it.
1: I want to say, too, congratulations. What a day. What an exciting time to be at Hope. And I also want to say thank you. But most importantly, we want to thank the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we lift up your holy name. We praise you as the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the one who breathes life into us, into this church. You truly are our hope. You are the rock that we stand on. You are gracious and loving You never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we don't feel you, you are present. So we come this morning and we say thank you. Our hearts are full with gratitude. Lord, we thank you for the very life that you give us. We thank you for the work that you give to our hands, for the ministry of this church, for our families, for relationship, We thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you continue to transform and change us. Lord, we all have memories of hope. Each one of us here, whether we've been here three weeks or three years or 15 years, Lord, hope the community has impacted our life. So we want to pause right now. We want to take a moment to remember In our own hearts, Lord, where we are right now, bring the memories of hope to our mind, to our spirit, so that we can be grateful. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the relationships. Thank you for the ways you've spoken to us, the ways you've met us here at this place. Thank you, Lord, for the teachers. Thank you for the youth leaders. Thank you for the laughter and the community that we've experienced. Thank you for the missions weeks. Thank you, Lord for the times we've gathered in prayer. Thank you for the groups and the potlucks and the treats and the cake. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord. Lord, we thank you for the past. Even the hard times have formed us. We thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for what the future will hold. We commit ourselves to you again fully today, Lord. We commit ourselves to the leadership of Amber and John. We commit ourselves to be in relationship with one another. But most importantly, we commit ourselves to you. So Lord, as we take this time to say thank you, as we take this time to celebrate, we ask you to change us, to transform us, to make us more like you. And we pray in your mighty name. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks. Well, this is a great day of celebration of a great church, thanks to a great God. Amen? Amen. But what do we mean when we say that word, great? Great. You know, we use it all the time. It's one of my favorite words. If you were to look at my email correspondence and the way I converse with people, I use that word all the time. It's great, great, great. Well, evidently, so do a lot of other people. I Googled, you know, in the search engine. Great. Guess how many times it comes up? 16.9 billion with a B. I, I can't even fathom. Almost 17 billion times, this thing, great. Now, here's some of the images that come up when you put great in there. Tony the tiger. Now, that dates me, but growing up as a kid, they're great, right? I mean, he was the mascot for Frosted Flakes. There's also other animals, the great white shark. Dun, 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 dun. There's the great wall of China. There's the great Dane. Dane. Even people get named great, Alexander the Great, or the Great One, Gretzky, right, if you're a hockey fan. All of these help us understand the meaning of great, at least in worldly terms, right? It's the biggest and the best and the strongest, the meanest, the baddest. But think with me about what great means in terms of the church. How does Jesus define greatness? What does it mean to be great in God's economy? What does it mean to be a great church? Is specifically what I want to wrestle with a little bit with you here this morning because you're celebrating a moment in time and you're going to continue to celebrate, Lord willing, the, the way the Lord is working in and through Hope Covenant Church. And you truly want to become a great church, and you are a great church, but we need to stay focused Because the world defines greatness in a very different way than the upside-down way that the Scriptures and the way Jesus defines greatness. And sadly, the church gets sucked into the optics, the metrics, the the worldly definitions more than we do God's definitions sometimes. I mean, if you were to go to a bookstore or go on Amazon and, and look at Christian books even, you would find a lot of large megachurch pastors writing books. You wouldn't find a lot of smaller churches. Now, I'm not saying that megachurches are bad because praise God for large churches and the kingdom impact they can have and the resources they bring, but that does not define greatness any more than a small church can define a friendly church, right? If you were to go to conferences, same kind of thing. We go to a lot of church conferences, pastor conferences, and the lineup are always these big church-type pastors. And so again, I want to be careful not to be critical there, but I think we get sucked into a worldly definition, and God's definition is very, very different. God defines greatness in terms of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it is a different picture. So we're going to look at Jesus and the way he defined great We're specifically gonna borrow some thoughts from a person I believe is a great man. He's the past president of the Evangelical Covenant Church, Gary Walter. Gary has retired, but several years back, he wrote an article in the the Covenant uh, magazine, the Covenant Companion, and he looked in the book of Matthew, and there were three times that Jesus uses the word great, and he defines for us greatness. So I, I thank Gary But I also thank Jesus and Matthew for recording in his gospel this definition because it's so helpful, such a good reminder. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn in your own Bibles or it will also be on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 19. And again, we're looking at what would it mean specifically for Hope Covenant to be a great church in this next season of ministry. Well, first of all, it would look like obedience, Matthew 5, 19, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Obedience is the first mark of greatness. Now, it's interesting here to look at the context because this this is at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, And he's really introducing this amazing new covenant of grace. And yet he needs to start by helping us understand the law and obedience. And the fact that grace doesn't simply mean that we can live a life totally unhinged and disobedient and in sin, we're still called to obey. There's still a followership that indicates a genuine faith. So you may have heard, for example, Faith without faithfulness is futile. Or you may have heard belief without behavior is bunk or all sorts of other little acronyms to help us understand that this whole business of entering into a relationship of grace with God should somehow transform who we are so that we desire to follow Him, so that it does bear witness to something different about us and that's where obedience comes in. Obedience is not a life-sucking burden. It is the way God has designed us to live. It's a beautiful way to live, living in freedom. Here's a reminder from Gary Walter in the article that he wrote. At the core, obedience isn't some deadening form of self-denial. It's simply aligning our hearts with the minds minds and hearts and minds with the wisdom and promises of God. God knows how we need to live better than we know ourselves, and we need to trust him in that. The commands of Scripture show us how to live well, the way we've been designed to live. And so when Jesus tells us to live in certain ways, we need to pay attention and say, well, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to become. When he says love our enemies, that means love our enemies. Whoever we dislike the most, whoever's offended us, whoever we have prejudice against, whoever we dislike. Turn the other cheek, in fact, he says. When he says, pick up your cross, we know what that means. We know what happens when Jesus picks up his cross. He gives his very life. And so obedience is difficult. It's sacrificial, and yet it's for our own good, and it's for the good of the world that Jesus loves. We need to pay attention and try to conform as the Spirit allows us to these areas of command. And as I look at Hope Covenant, I believe that's what you've attempted to do, and you're trying to do still. You want to be an obedient church. You want to listen to the Spirit through the Scripture and through one another and say, well, what does it look like for us to truly be a great church? Well, the first mark would be obedience. Let's go on to a second mark, though. Matthew chapter 18, verse 4 is the second place where Jesus defines greatness, and he defines it as humility. Therefore, whoever takes a humble place, becoming like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now again, remember the context. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, and they say, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus? And he grabs a little child, and he says, that's what greatness looks like. Now there's a lot of ways teachers interpret what's going on there. My understanding of it is totally dependent. A child is totally dependent. They're not perfect. They're not pure. They're dependent. We need to be dependent. We need to take a humble posture. Humility is simply understanding who God is and who I am in that relationship of dependence. I need God. You need God. You see, they wanted to have worldly greatness. They wanted their names up in lights. They wanted the first seat on the bus. They wanted to be great in worldly terms, and Jesus corrects the faulty understanding and says, no, it's humility, understanding who Jesus is and who we are, and then being in grateful surrender. Here's a quote from Mike Iaconelli that I think is helpful. The power of the church is not a parade of flawless people, but a flawless Christ who embraces our flaws. The church is not made up of whole people, but rather of broken people who find their wholeness in a Christ who was broken for us. You see, I think it's important that Jesus, even in the the, the definition of greatness here, as we look at this flow through these chapters, he juxtaposes obedience with humility. Yes, you're to obey, but you'll fail, and I will fail. And so we have to be in humble posture of receiving of grace to say, I messed up again, Lord, help me. I I humbly come before you. I know your arms are open wide, and I need you to lead me forward. That's what it looks like. And so humility looks like desperate prayer, constantly desperate. Part of your story is desperation. Praise God. Desperation is something that God shines in. He loves us to come before him without the answers, saying, I I don't know, Lord, please, in this humble posture. It looks like extravagant generosity, and you're a generous church. Generosity is simply acknowledging this is all God's stuff anyway. I'm just going to open up my hands and be this conduit of grace and let it pass through so that others can be blessed. That's what it looks like to be a humble person. Humility looks like a meek person. Meekness is simply a settled confidence in God. I'm not confident in Brent, but I am confident in God, and I trust him as best I can to be who he is, even in my failings, and you want to do that too. And again, from my vantage point, walking with this church, sitting in the peanut gallery clapping for you, you're a humble church, You're a church that really does want to be authentic and about real relationship. You're a church that really wants to be in that posture. But I also know you're just like me. You've got a sin nature that still is part of your mix. And pride is always lurking. And we have to every day, every morning, come before the Lord all the time and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Please, Lord, guide me forward, as I know you will. But if I don't reposition myself and change the conversation in my crazy brain, I can get into pride real quick, and you can too, particularly on days like this when we celebrate and we say, look at what God has done through us, and then we start to take credit. Don't do that. This is all about Jesus, who he is and who he wants to be in us. So Jesus defines greatness in terms of obedience and humility, but let's go to a third marker, Matthew 20, verse 26, and it's servant, service. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. The context here is the the mother of James and John coming up to Jesus and says, hey, can my boy sit at the right hand? Would you take care of them? I mean, they're really good boys you know, being a great mom, but not understanding what this is really about. And Jesus says, no, the great, great ones among us will be the servants, the ones in the background, the ones that don't get the the flashing lights, the ones that aren't in the skybox. Jesus corrects the faulty understanding, and it's so cool to see that he really gives us a very tangible way to be humble. If we're serving others, if we're being selfless, There's a much better chance we can be in a humble posture. So he's giving us a practical way to live out humility. The challenge is great, though. And I speak to you as one of the generation that's called baby boomers. And I've just got to confess, at least for me, I'm sure there are exceptions. But as a generation of people, boomers had the world handed to them on a silver platter. And rather than responding in gratitude, we responded in greed. We sucked it up and consumed it on ourselves and thought we deserved it. And we're a selfish bunch. And it grieves me. But I'm not alone as a boomer. Every other generation still struggles with that same core defect of idolizing self and becoming greedy and self-focused, and consuming on ourselves, when Scripture tells us over and over, we exist for others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're to be a conduit of grace. That's the way we're designed. And when we consume it on ourselves, we're killing ourselves. And we're not bearing witness to who Christ wants to be in us. And so this whole business of service is really, really important and again, I believe it's your desire. And I see it as I, I, I'm, on, I'm on your weekly email burst, you know, and every time I look at it, I just, I just take a breath. I go, wow, there's so much going on. You just finished this amazing BMW, Butler Mission Week. So good to hear that the numbers even worked out. But the lives that were touched because of the service that you gave in bodily form, you were there, you were sharing, you were incarnating the gospel, That service And you do that in countless other ways, both corporately and individually. Keep finding ways to be a servant. That's the way Jesus defines greatness. That's part of his practical application of this. So he defines it in obedience, humility, and being a servant. The question we always have to drill down in Scripture is say, okay, well, so what? How does this apply to us? What does it mean for us to be a follower of Jesus as an obedient, humble servant? Let me ask you specifically. There's some of you in the room that are students. Do you obey students and other authorities in your life? Is obedience a mark of your life? That's what it looks like to be a great student because it's a witness of the gospel. Are you a great husband if you're a husband? Do you focus more on serving your wife or meeting your own needs? Are you a great mom? There's a number of moms in the room. Are you driven more by parental pride or humble stewardship of God's children? These are God's kids. They're not our kids. Are you a great employee? Most of us are working somewhere. Do you serve and work with excellence as unto the Lord? A servant who bears witness to the greatness of God and to Hope Covenant Church. Are we striving for worldly greatness or God's greatness? In a sermon like this where you bounce through different chapters of Scripture and you pick out words, you might be tempted to say, oh, he's just cherry-picking. You know, there's a lot of other definitions of greatness out there where Jesus is macho and he's kicking their tail and, you know, all that. Ah, that's That's not really greatness, is it? Well, I don't want to pile on the argument, but <laughs> throughout Scripture, this is confirmed over and over. And I want to close with an amazing hymn out of Philippians 2. It's considered maybe to be the oldest liturgical hymn of the church. And it says exactly what Jesus has been saying here in the Gospel of Matthew. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind of Christ that Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Verse seven, rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in the appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, even death on a cross. Verse nine, therefore God made him great. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the humble, obedient servant, is now exalted. His greatness is defined according to the Father, and our greatness likewise will be defined as we follow Jesus. He showed us that the path to glory is the path of Golgotha. It's not easy. It's sacrificial. It's painful. And yet it is well worth the journey. It is so clear in Scripture. It is so clear in the life and work of Jesus. I cannot think of anyone more courageous than Jesus. To be who he was, he could have demanded whatever he wanted. He could have taken it by force. He could have been the king on any terms he wanted. But instead, he was the obedient, humble servant. And he shows us the way to greatness. And that's who we want to become. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, your word is perfect your spirit is precious and powerful. We confess that words like this, commands like this, they, they look good on the paper. They're so much harder to live out. And so, Lord, by your spirit, do what only you can do and make this real in our lives. Speak to each of us individually. More importantly, speak to us as the body of Christ, your church, so that we can continue to become great In your eyes,
1: in Jesus' name I pray, amen.